Welcome to Genius Leadership, Overcoming Everything podcast. Join me every week for insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their roller coaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. I'm your host, Anna Lieben, and before we kick off, let me invite you to a complimentary strategy call where during 30 minutes we work on identifying your zone of genius and lay out a plan for you to stay in that zone as much as possible. Schedule the call via link in the show notes. And for now, let's take a ride together. Welcome to the show, Genius Leaders. Today, I will be very brief with this introduction audio part because the conversation with my guest has gotten a bit longer than usual and I don't want to scare you off with an even longer duration of the episode. So let me present you Carl Jorn Hamilton, or CJ, as he calls himself sometimes. He is a co-founder of ANTS, an IT recruitment company in Sweden, which was founded in 2004. And we talk about their journey of getting through two crises. One of them is ongoing now with the pandemic and Karyon's learnings from that journey. We're talking also about establishing values and how it's not nothing that you can maybe nail from the first time. And uh, he's sharing how they have been exploring the world for, for themselves. And we touch on a lot of other topics, including raising kids with a great self-esteem and a lot of others. I want again thank you for tuning in and listening to the show. It means a lot to us and I am grateful for all the feedback that I'm getting. So if you have any thoughts, any reflections, any takeaways you would like to share, please reach out. I'm always happy to read your messages or to see the posts of you sharing with your networks about the show. Uh, And I'm always happy to reply to those. So enjoy the conversation and see you on the other side. Karyon, I am really happy to have you on the show. Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm very glad you reached out. I'm excited where the conversation will guide us because you have so much experience and you also are so open to sharing. And um, you have very interesting questions as well that you're facing at the moment. So maybe it will be a bit of a life coaching here. We'll see. Maybe Let's I hope for that. You. Let's hope for that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we can give you some pieces of advice how uh, for... For the things that keep your mind busy. No, yeah, I, well, I, I, I'm sure it's going to be a learning experience, and I, I, I look forward to that. It always is. I love this uh, podcasting journey, and I, you have your own podcast, so you probably know that from the host perspective as well. So I usually start with the question: Who is a leader, and what is leadership for you? That's a really big question. I, I, I thought about it a little bit before, and I, I think, I think, or rather, a perspective on leadership. Uh, I, I think a, a leader is, is somebody who really work to get other people to grow. I think if you can have that perspective, that, that's, a, that's a success factor. And, how, and also, I think a good leader is one that perhaps can help other people to grow, um, different kind of people. I, I think over the years, I found that at least uh, I, I, when I was a sort of new at this, I, I was better at leading some kind of people. In some situations, I was a lot worse at other situations. I think the more you learn uh, and the kind of wider perspective you can have there and... and um, handle sort of different situations i think you improve as a leader and and you always find i think you always find new ones all the time that you, that you sort of fail at and it, it's usually combined with failures you realize okay this didn't go well i have to think in a different way or you, of course you also so yeah i think that that's uh, i don't know if that was an answer but that was a that was a start perhaps it was a great answer um we talk a lot about getting other people uh to grow here on the show and how you as a leader is how it is about serving your people and really bringing the best out of them. But I really liked your perspective and twist on that, that it's different kind of people that a good leader is really the one who can find the best of different people and not only be able to lead the people who are same like them, for example. I think another perspective on that, I think also that which I, at least I use to try and help help myself is to also have the perspective that you also can learn something from, from the people you're, you're expected to lead. It's not sort of a one-way relationship. It's a two-way relationship. And if you keep that alive, it makes, I think it makes your job more exciting because you always get something. And I, I think especially um, being a little older now than I was when I started the company, I, I especially working with young people, you, you always kind of get inspired by the things they know and, and learn and do. And, and sort of, the, I think that 
that makes it more fun, but also uh, that's definitely true all the way. If you can sort of learn both ways, and that's uh, or grow both ways, then that's a, uh, I think that is a good perspective. I think it's very important this perspective on leadership. Uh, I said the same about my coaching that I learn from my clients just as much as they learn from me. It's just different. Like they help me broaden my perspectives. They they help me see different opinions and just really, and they also educate me about their work, for example, their companies, how they function. So it's about being curious and really being open to learn new things as a leader. And I think that's also something that you mentioned in the first part of your answer or in, uh, in the answer that it's about learning from the mistakes. And I think for that, you need to be reflective and open to learn. So that it sounds to me like those are also important characteristics of a leader for you. I agree with that. So talking about learnings, uh, you have founded, co-founded ANS in 2004. So now it's almost two decades. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a meeting before this with Hugo and he, I, I was sort of, how we long have been doing this? And he said, I, I used to say we've been doing it for 20 years. I said, we haven't been doing it for 20 years. And he said, almost, almost. Not quite that yet, but I think we're getting there. So tell us a bit about the learnings. And I, I thought of separating the conversation or up to... 2004 till 2020, March, and then have the COVID because I know that you've gone through a lot of new learnings and different learnings in the last pandemic year. I, th- I think when I, it's, I mean, of course, you could always stop at the beginning. And I, I think, um, I think sort of starting a company and being an entrepreneur, I, I think, of course, there's all the sort of practicalities about learning how to do sort of the ups and downs of, of, of organizing a company. And, and, and then it seems to me that it's also, also different stages. I mean, the sort of, there was one thing to go from sort of, you know, zero to, 10 people and then sort of, sort of 10 to 25 people. And then that's and all these steps that people talk about. I do think they exist a little bit different where they are. So, um, and for us, I mean, now we're sort of, we're, I mean, we're 75, I think now, and sort of looking, look, you know, moving towards 100 if we're lucky. And I, it's a new kind of situation. So it's, it's always, um, I mean, there are different, different parts of it along the way. And, and at the moment, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I mean, of course, it's been a learning curve now with with COVID. Distance, how do you lead a distance? Uh, uh, but also, I think, uh, how do you lead a bigger company? How do you organize these things? Um, and I've, I've, I mean, during those years, I think also a, a massive thing was, of course, when we sold one company, and that was a that was a big, of course, a sort of a, a big learning. Uh, I think also the crisis situations that you do sort of uh, handle during the uh, uh, during the years. I mean, we've been through kind of two major economic crises in two thousand eight, and, and now then COVID, and I think those. Uh, those have also been a very uh, good learning experience. <laughs> They're not always such a great experience, but but, but uh, as with all things, once you go through it, feels um, you wouldn't perhaps uh, have wanted to be without them. Not a positive experience, but valuable learning. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. I think I mean definitely. If we, if we sort of if we sort of focus on this, the last year, I, I I definitely think that we're a better company now than we were uh, a year ago. Actually, what made it better? What what makes you think so? I think this is always to, to certain point up to others to say, but my experience is that we, we did build a lot of trust and, and the fact that we could as a company survive and react quickly and do things I and mean, quite often tough things. And, and for us, of course, the tough things were mostly involved actually laying off uh, really, you know, really um, trusted and, and, uh, and uh, good colleagues. But I think to be able to do that in, in as, as much as possible in a way that, that was um, em- you know, with empathy and with feeling and, 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 and also to create understanding for why you do things. And with all that communication, I think that's, at least I think we did that quite well. And I'm quite proud of the way we did it. And uh, I think that that has made everybody who was in that stage, sort of everybody that was there has learned something. And I, to a certain extent, I think created a bond. It creates sort of a, um, a togetherness that, that we survived and we did it and we can move forward. I think that that does make us stronger. And also, of course, there's some practical learnings. <laughs> How do you know what, what you should do and don't sort of. Yeah, the practicality is always some pieces, but I, I want to tap a bit more into the trust, for example. You are very open and you don't have the prestige from what I see in the company. Like when I go to the company webpage, you you are there, you're putting yourself out in the spotlight and you're showing how you're developing. For example, you have this whole video about you being trained for the, preparing for the speech, right? With uh, uh, David. Oh yeah, yeah. With, that was fun. Yeah. With, uh, with uh, I forgot his name now, but a really great guy. The, uh, David JP. David JP, yeah, JP Phillips, yeah, great, great. Uh, that was fun. He has a very popular TED talk about their body language and their presentation skills. And you just put yourself out there and show them, like, okay, here's my speech before 
the training and then you're being coached by him so that it's also on the video and then there is a result right and you're just really open about how you are developing yourself and I think this is something that helps building trust with your employees and show like hey guys I'm here I'm not a guru I don't know everything I'm willing to learn from you and from the others so I think that really helps building this culture I think you're right. I, I think it's really important. To, I mean, we, something we talk about a lot is is to to be able to kind of ask stupid questions. And I'm not saying, sort of rather saying that no questions are stupid and to, to be able to ask for help and help each other and reach out. And, and I, think, I think that's really important. I think the only way to, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time asking other people, how, how do you create this trust? How do you do things? And the only answers I, I seem to get is is to, you, you can talk about it, but you also have to try and do it yourself and, and, and you know, sort of show weakness in a certain extent. And, and um I think it's, you have to be fair that it's quite easy for me to do because because I'm in a sort of a I mean you tend to say you're in a strong position you know you have a, you, you've done this for you you're kind of you're head of the company you own the company so, so it's sort of I don't think it's it's a big ask for me to do that but 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 if I don't do it who who then uh, can do it if you see what I mean I I see what you mean but I would actually oppose to that because there are a lot of people enough people who are in the positions like yours who say I have too much to lose mm. or who say that they they can't show those weaknesses because what will, will what will people think or how will that affect the morale in the company and so on so what you're talking about now uh, is actually reflecting how you think and how you are as a human carry on maybe but i think it's also past fair to, I, I think it's also maybe i mean i thought about it actually a lot uh, when we uh, during i mean during covid when we sort of I mean, we were in a situation where we all, I mean, I, there was a, and I, I talk about that, I think in that speech that, that we, um, I mean, really thought this is it, this was over, it was over. And I remember, you know, especially a moment when, when uh, I was like, it was a Wednesday where we, me and Hugo talked and we looked at the numbers and we realized that whatever we do, we're probably going to go bust. And, you know, things didn't turn out that way, but it felt like that. And, and I think for me, I mean, that was a frightening thing. And it was a frightening thing in the sense that, that saw all these great people that were going to lose their job. But I think it wasn't as scary as it perhaps was 10 years earlier or other crises when you sort of kind of hadn't proved yourself or you hadn't sort of, and I, and I think that's a certain extent, that's sort of a silly thing because you, 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 I think all people have this, uh, this need to sort of show how they succeed to the world or perhaps to their parents or their fathers or their mothers and all these things. And, and even though, so, so I think, I think it's, uh, it's once you have done something and you could have feel, feel proud of that and you could show that, it's perhaps easier to then have, have sort of, um, other failures, perhaps. <laughs> if you're ready to learn and, and open to that. Uh, again, I, I think that is really <clears throat> the mindset in a way. And also it comes down to self-esteem. If you don't feel like you're enough, you need to perform, right? And you're depending on the performance. Probably right about that, yeah. What I hear from you is that your self-esteem is quite okay. I think, I think, I, uh, I think I've been lucky with that over the years. What makes you like him? Let's let us let us take like tap into that because that that's something I need to help a lot of my clients with building that up. So, I mean, it's funny when you say self esteem. I, I I do. I mean, one thing is I I think about sort of a weakness I have. I I do kind of enjoy enjoy getting um you know sort of uh, what's that appreciation. I, I I sort of enjoy being the nice guy to certain. I think that that is a weakness, and I, I kind of work with that and think about. So I, I have to think about that. Okay, you know, I I. I and I know, uh, so I mean, that's, and that's, a, I mean, that could be a sign of low esteem in, in, in a sense, but I, I, I do, I spend a lot of time thinking about that. How, how can I sort of <laughs> handle myself and not, not be too sort of seeking, uh, I mean, because I think if you're sort of seeking uh, appreciation or seeking uh, feedback too much, uh, that's not, not necessarily a good thing. So um, how do you create self-esteem? I, I think, I mean, it's, it's a hard question because it's something you think a lot when, when you have children. You sort of think, how, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you create self-esteem with your children? And I, I've been quite inspired by um, one of the podcasts I listen to a lot. Is I think Freakonomics. It's one of those great, you know, you and me as podcasters, we aspire to be Freakonomics, and and they have. A, but I think it's one of those um, one of the guys that do Freakonomics, um, very sort of thinking person. I think is a Nobel Prize uh, laureate, and he he says he has this idea about how, how do you raise children and sort of. What's important with raising children? I think it's something that, that you know, all parents struggle with. How, how do you sort of make them successful in some sense? What do you really want with your children? And his conclusion is the only thing that's really important is to make sure they love you. Well, I mean, sorry, make sure they know that you love them. And that, but I mean, that's not it's not a trivial problem. <laughs> how do you make sure you, you, your children know that you that you love them? It's not I mean, you can say that you love them, you can do all these things, but but it's not sort of a 
it's it's not a uh, so I think that's perhaps the answer. I think if you can sort of feel loved or feel appreciated, and and that that kind of feels true, then that is um, kind of a way to create self esteem or, or or to kind of instill self esteem on others. And, and I think perhaps if you look at if you look from a leadership perspective, when when trying to lead others, I, I think it is a, if you can sort of I think what works is to giving give encouragement. But also to see, I mean, to not not sort of say, "You're great, Anna. You're really good, Anna. You're really, I really like you." But, but be a lot more specific. Sort of say, "Okay, I think this what you did there was really good, and that was good because of, because of this." And, and I, I can see these things you do, and and I, and I you know, appreciate, and they're good. But, you know, continue that more of that, more of that. Keep doing that. And even I think when things when things go badly, you sort of say, "Okay, okay, that wasn't great, but you know, the way you handle this, this part, more of that, do more of that." I think that that's sort of a perhaps a. Um, method in a sense uh, and i think that perhaps also does create self-esteem uh, among others perhaps yeah it's you're tapping on a lot of great points here Kakarion. like i'm have a two-year-old now and i i am in that space every day how do i help her be the best version of herself how do i create the environment in which she can thrive and keep developing and keep exploring for for till the last day of her life and talking about the i love you and and showing the love I like I have a rule like inside me that I, I say it to her at least once every day, but usually it comes more. I, I, I don't count how many times, but it comes more. But the other rule is when she's misbehaving, when she's tired and cranky and so on, and when we like we are unhappy with her behavior, I make it an extra point for myself to actually say I love her, I love you to her in those moments. And I, I include it in a conversation. I say, okay. Right now, you're doing this and that, and I'm not happy about that. And I love you. Yeah, it's funny. I, my, my, I think it's my mother-in-law that told me once. She said that that uh, you always love your children, but you don't always like them. <laughs> I think that's quite good. That sort of sums up parenthood to a certain extent. That that it, sometimes it's got to be okay to have a sort of a miss or you know a bit of friction as well. Yeah. And I think it's important to give the labels. Like I'm, I'm saying to her, like, okay, now I'm annoyed because you're doing this and that. So you're kind of making that, but then you also show that, okay, no matter what, I'm still loving you. And I think it was a great, I also have a great example. Yeah, I, you know, when I was, when we, when we knew, when we had small children, we had a great sort of very progressive um, daycare center. And there was all this, we had, it was a good course, actually. It was a course about uh, how do you talk to your children? And I, I can't remember that. It was sort of nonviolent communication was, was the process. And it, and it was good. It's really good. And it was all about, you know, I feel this way and all these things. And at the same time, I had a good friend. He had a, he had a sort of an older, older child, and he was practicing. And the child was like, you know, he said, you know, I, I feel this makes me feel bad. And the child was like, you know, I feel good when you feel bad. <laughs> that's sort of what, but that's what some teenagers are supposed to do, though. So, well, similar, another, another strange story, but that's the best about the kids, right? They don't filter themselves. And that's the thing, like, then, then they give you the space, like, okay, and then you can work together. Okay, what makes you feel good when I feel bad? And I think, I think if you, another question about self-esteem, I think is, of course, uh, as I, as I, which builds self-esteem is all these things, of course, being able to do things and, and work and not at something and then kind of succeed and to a certain extent, the, the hard work. And then some, I think that's sort of a, of course, something that builds sort of ability to kind of overcome problems or uh, I think we, in our company, we, we're definitely a company we work with a lot of young people that, that, I mean, I think in a sense, our business model is hiring young people and, and making them succeed in the talent acquisition space. And how do you recruit? And, and of course, you are going to have failures and you're expected to have failures in, in the sense that you have bumps. And I think you have to really help people handle those bumps because if the bumps become too big, they leave and they don't like it. And they just, but you also have to have some bumps uh, because otherwise you, you don't you don't improve, you don't learn. So, so it's sort of like important. Yeah, it is important to to and, I, and some of those failures can be can be tough because they sort of, I mean, sometimes it can be a business situation where, where you have a customer that's not pleased or do this and and all these. So, so you have to sort of. Um, uh, you kind of have to talk about that and, and how do you do it and you know, help people handle those bumps and perhaps, I don't know, sort of, uh, I mean, and also, of course, sometimes people aren't, aren't right for the job and then you have to talk about that. There are a lot of things here that we actually discussed on the, on the, on the show. Like one of them is like, how do you actually let go of people if they're not the right fit? Or when, like, how do you take out someone from, from the customer uh, and maybe put someone else? Uh, so how do you deal with those situations in, in that end? Well, I think that the, the, when people don't fit for the job, I, I think I've, I've actually never, 
I, somebody might might say against me here, but I, I think I've never actually joined it all the times in ants. I, there's never really been a, I haven't been a situation where there's been a conflict where somebody sort of feels that there. It's always, it's always a question. Once you kind of talk about it, uh, it usually, usually, I mean, you, you go somewhere. Listen, is this really right for you? And you talk about it, and, and so almost always you you have an understanding, and people, yeah, you're right. Maybe I maybe I'm not right for this job. And I think I've been quite. I was inside so another actually podcast I listened to. It was um. I think it was Jack Wells that said it, you know, that it was one of those, he was a, you know, classical, very, very famous manager of General Electric. And he said at one point, uh, it's really important to let people know where they stand in a company. I sort of, you know, where are you in this company, Anna? What, what, you know, what, what, what do we expect from you? And what do people think of you? I mean, of course, you have to do it in the right way. And, his, 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 uh, and the reason he said that was because he said, if you don't do that, I mean, you, you, if people aren't sort of on the right track, it gives them a chance to go somewhere else and succeed there. And, and so, so, so it's really important to sort of talk about that and and uh, and kind of give people a fair idea of where they are. Uh, and that's not it's not always easy to do because there's lots of reasons. But but I think uh, I think he has a good point there. That's for sure. Expectation management is one of the big things that you need to do as a leader. And for that, you need to be aware of yourself. Because you can't communicate to the people where they stand or in their organization if you don't understand what's going on in your mind. And that's the thing. You can be the most brilliant manager uh, or visionary, but if you can't communicate it to the people and they get frustrated or disappointed or stressed out and they burn out and so on. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I think a lot, or I spend a lot of time at the moment is, of course, with the size we are now, I mean, we're, not, we're not, definitely not a massive company, but we are big enough so that you don't, I mean, you cannot spend individual meetings with everybody, of course, uh, and you have to have sort of lots of other managers that, that do all this seeing and learning and teaching and, and all this. And I think that's sort of what I spend a lot of time thinking about. How do you create structures and values and things which, which can enable you to scale this and, and, and to, uh, and that's not a, I don't think I have, a, have, have an answer there yet, but I, I have some, perhaps some tips on the way. What kind of tips do you have? Well, I think, I think this whole um, talk about values is important. That, that it is important to have values and to talk about them and to sort of instill them and to try and, I mean, our theory is that if we have some clear values or strategies that we know, if we follow them, we know that we, we will end up a successful company, then you can spend a lot of time talking about them and, and, and talking about, you know, the, the sort of, and, and trying to sort of get people to understand them and sort of build a culture around it. That Then that does, I think that, doesn't always work, but I think it does kind of push things in the right direction in a general way and, and give people the ability to sort of act and do things on their own rather than being sort of pointed in one direction. So I think that, that that's important, I think, especially for a company like us with, with people. And and, uh, and I think it does work, actually. It's not, I mean, there's a lot of talk about these things, values and all these things these days. And I, I think it, but I think it does work, actually. You have to do it. You have to kind of work with it continuously. It's not something you can sort of do once and then forget about. You have to sort of Make sure it, it's sort of instilled in, in in the culture, and that's a that's a kind of continuous um, job, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's the tricky part, and that's what makes this discussion about values a bit devalued, so to say. <laughs> yeah, it's always easy to say, and I, I always I'm always a lot more interested. Well, how do you do? What what things do you do? What actions do you take to, to make this happen? And and uh, and uh, I mean, for us, for example, it's it's definitely we have. I mean, just the fact that I have proper one on not necessarily one on one but it could be one one with three like an intro meeting with everybody we try and make sure that the values are instilled in all the all the goals and we talk about that a lot and we, we sort of try and build that culture and I think that and also we quite regularly or sort of the two years we do sort of look at our values and and work with them and and talk about them and and uh and then they sometimes change or they do change a little bit uh but it's sort of a I don't know how long that will work but I think it works for definitely work for a few more few more years I think I, I like the example of one of my guests, so Jan Magislason, he's the founder here in Iceland, and their company is smaller now than, than Ants, and, and it's younger, it's two years old and around 20 people, and he said, like, we have five principles, and they are printed out, and they are hanging on the wall in the office, so that everyone sees them from their offices, and we kind of, like, use those as the checkpoints for, for everything we do, so... We're asking ourselves when we need to take a decision and we have like two different solutions or two different functions to implement and so on. And then we ask, okay, are we proud of what we do if we take this decision and or that? And then just go through those five uh, value statements or or whatever you call them. And, and they they are the parameter. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I do think that works. 
And you have to, yeah, I, do, I agree with that. I think, I mean, also it's interesting when, I mean, we've had over the years, uh, I mean, I think from, from the very beginning, we've had different strategies and, and um, ideas. I think when you start a company, the problem is you don't, it's easy to sort of sit down and think about strategies or values that you think would, would work. But it's, um, I, we definitely have strategies that's at the beginning and also values that we thought, oh, this is probably good, but they didn't lead to a successful company. You know what I mean? It, it would sort of, and I think one of the things that has made us more successful over the last maybe five or six years, when we really kind of found, found a model that, that started to grow now properly and, and, and had, have given us some proper growth and also profitable growth, is that we, I think we, we feel confident that our values and our strategies, <laughs> in our particular case, they will lead to growth, profit. And of course, you can't always guarantee that. But, but in, 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 and that, that's an interesting, I think, an interesting point that you have to sort of find things which work for you. It, it's very difficult to sort of theorize about what, what you should have or what values you should have or what sort of strategies in general work. It's very interesting. And I would love to actually tap in uh, or dig deeper into this. What, how did that transition look like for you? And what kind of values, for example, you had before those five, six years ago that didn't really work? And how did you find, how did you fine tune to actually find that value set that you believe in and that makes you passionate and actually makes you more successful? Yeah. So the values actually, they they were very much... um... I mean, it's, it's different. It was difficult to know what, what what's an egg and a hen and egg here, but 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 we we've had. Um, I think we had our first, uh, and we definitely had like an a, an exercise in the whole company, and, and we had our first sort of created our first values. I mean, in classical way, you do sort of storyboard. I mean, you do sketches and things, and it, and you and you and you talk about it, and and then you try and kind of formulate the wording. And quite often, it's not the the actual wording isn't really. It's not that important what they actually say. If you see what I mean, it's more of a question that it's what people think they mean or feel that they mean. So it's really the exercise that, that is, is the important part. And then there's kind of small versions of that exercise going forward. So that's how we started. Uh, and that was, I think, I think we probably were around 20 people that we, and we realized that was sort of important to, or that it was worth doing. And it wasn't, it was definitely not my, my idea. It was, it was some, probably some very, was some, some, uh, one of my um, clever colleagues that realized that we should probably do this CJ and, and it's important. And, and uh, I think at the time I, I, didn't, didn't realize what impact it might have, it was going to have. I think it might be an after construction, but I but I, <laughs> I think that's the way it happened. Exactly. Sometimes, or most often than not, it's actually easier to connect the, 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 those dots. Yeah. From the past, right? But yeah, but, but it's definitely worth doing. It. I mean, for example, another example, I just one of those things which I think is important. If you maybe that's a Swedish context, but I think sometimes in Sweden we're a little bit we're a little bit sort of afraid of talking about profit and growth and and you know and why that's important and, and you kind of have sort of higher values. And I think for us, it has been important to put, to talk about why is it important to be profitable and h- how can you contribute to profit and why is that important and why, why should we grow and all these things Because before. I mean, growing is, 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 is problematic in the sense that it's, it's uh, complicated and it creates problems and it's frustrating and you know, things happen and you, know, you can't really plan things and all these things tend to go wrong. So, so growth, uh, which is, the office, the office is too small, and then we have this sort of creates problems for our daily life. So, so growth is a is a complicated thing, and 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 um, and it's you have, you have to talk about why why you think growth is important, why is growth important for you, and and why is profit important, and how, how can we, why is it important that we're profitable all the time, and 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 those things, I think that's something we didn't do early on. We sort of, I think we probably were afraid of, we were afraid to talk about. It, I think uh, perhaps. That's a very, very good point to to bring up, I think, and, and discuss, carry on, because it, I think it's a problem for many entrepreneurs. When they, they start, quite often you don't start to be rich, right, or wealthy. You you start because you see some gap in the market. You, you, you have some pain yourself as a customer and you don't see any solution. So you're like, okay, if no one can offer that to me, then I go and, and create it myself. So you are passion, passionate, you are purpose-driven, and then the money kind of gets... And because you are, it feels conflicting for many people because they're like, okay, I want to solve this problem. I'm not here for the money, but it doesn't have to be either or. No, no, and I, quite often it has to be both. I mean, and if you don't make the money, it's you're not going to, it's not going to have an impact. <laughs> and I mean, and that's all. I think it was a, a very, uh, I mean, a really important thing. It's, it's, it's profitable companies that grow; they make a lot of impact, a lot more impact than than, um, than those who don't. So, so I think that's a really. Uh, and it's important to surround yourself with the people who actually are modeling that. For, for myself, I'm in a business accelerator. And the deciding factor for me to invest in that one was the business model 
with the heart, the combination uh, of the coach who is running that. So it's a very successful, it's the biggest growing coaching uh, company in uh, at least in the North America. When I joined in the end of May 2020, there were around 30 employees. Now they're around 50 in less than a year. They keep growing and the revenues, they are in 15 million per year or so in dollars. And she's very uh, openly, Kelly's very openly talking about the, the profits and the uh, the growth of the company. But at the same time, she has a foundation, the nonprofit, where, with which they, they have a model one-to-one. So each client, uh, uh, money that comes in, there is a, a portion of that that goes into the foundation. And then they team up with the causes or the, the funds and foundations that uh, that support the causes. For this year, they, they're talking about mental health and the foundation is supporting the organizations that are working with mental health. So for me, it was amazing to see, and I want to, to be around people like her. And of course, she's attracting people who, who are like, who value that, who are purpose-driven, but they see that they need the money because the more money you get, the more you can actually make it an impact in the world with this money. Definitely. I agree with that. Yeah. So important to, to see that. And as I said, just, just, just look for people, look for the networks, look for the masterminds, whatever it is, where you can find the people who, who are modeling and living by the principles that you want to internalize yourself. Borrow, borrow their beliefs, borrow their confidence in that it will work until you really have it within yourself. I think it's very important for us entrepreneurs. No, I agree with that. I, I, uh, I mean, also, I, I just sort of talking about sort of entrepreneurship, and that's one of those things that I really... I think it's important inspiring young people to to be start companies and, and and sometimes the thing I do sometimes see is that that there's quite often this sort of um I mean sort of aim big and, and you have to everybody you have to you have to have an idea which is fantastic and has to be sort of massive and has a scale. I think there's a, of course there's a trend over the last year that you have to have sort of tech companies that can be really big and, and for us of course and for us being big company um, and I mean I mean you know this way we perhaps will you know, we perhaps would have a turnaround, maybe 65, 75 million krona or something like that. I mean, for, for us, this was a crazy <laughs> prospect, of course, 10, 15 years ago. But I mean, we're still small, of course, compared to lots of others. And perhaps others would say it was a failure. So, so I think it's important to say that, that most companies don't have to be IKEA or H&M or, or Spotify or Facebook. And of course, not most companies don't have to be that. Uh, and it's, it's okay to be, you know, a smaller success and, and, and do it over a little bit of time. And for us, I mean, for us sort of succeeding with maybe 20, 25%, sometimes even 30% growth every year, I mean, that's, and being able to do that in a profitable way, that's, of course, an amazing success for us. And, and, and so I think it's important to, to sort of also perhaps um, see that a lot of those, I mean, a lot of smaller companies become very, very successful in the long term. They don't necessarily have to be sort of massive ideas or global or these things like that. I think here it's important to know what yourself, why are you doing this? And what would be, what would it, what would it mean to be the CEO of Spotify or the next Spotify? Yeah, but I mean, a lot, also, I think also a lot of, especially this, especially with, with, the, with the VC capital and these things, I think there is a, a trend I've seen it lots of times that I think almost um, sometimes companies are sometimes almost on the verge of being ruined by having too much money, if you see what I mean. It, it's sort of, and you realize that perhaps the, the venture capitalist and the entrepreneur, I mean, they're sort of what's good for the VC isn't necessarily good for the for the entrepreneur in the sense that the VC has to have 20 bets and you have one or two that has to be massively good, which means that they but but they all have to be you have you have the possibility to be massively good, but you probably ruin a few of them on the way by, you know, or at least you ruin the you ruin it for the entrepreneur in the sense that the entrepreneur gets pushed out or, or loses ownership if it just does reasonably well. If it perhaps if it taken a little bit longer and and um, and I, I'm just saying this because I think this is the, the moment. There's a trend where everything has to be massively valued and you have to sort of aim for really massive revenue and all these things. And uh, I'm sure I would probably be there as well if I could. <laughs> it depends on the personality and your way of working and your preferences and so on. VCs are great sometimes because they or. If you choose wisely, you get a lot of value as well. Not only the money they bring. Perhaps. As an entrepreneur, the VC always tends to be the enemy, don't they? They're, they're, they're sort of the, as an entrepreneur, the VC tends to be the enemy. That's sort of what that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I've never been in, the, in those shoes. Like uh, I'm for organic growth. I, I think for me personally, it's more about I never tend to sell my company. I want that to be my life work. Uh, and then it's a bit difficult to take in the external investment because they they get it back when you when you sell. Okay, there are different models, of course. But still. Yeah, of course, of course, and it's different. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not saying all VCs are bad. No, definitely not. But I, I uh, 
it's definitely a different kind of entrepreneurship. I mean, it, it, I think if you, it's like having a bot. I mean, it's like you, if a lot of people, I think, become entrepreneurs because they or decide to have their own companies because they want to make their own decisions, perhaps, or perhaps own their own. I mean, decide things for themselves. Of course, that's never completely true because you're always, you're always, um, you're always sort of um, delivering to somebody. I mean, you have customers and all these things, of course. That they, so you can't. I mean, that's not. But um, of course, when you have a uh, an owner, uh, that's a different situation. He or she is calling, take, calling more of the shots than you are yourself. So it's important to know yourself, as I, as I said a bit earlier, that and question your own decisions and your own dreams. Where does it come from? Would that feed my ego, for example? And sometimes it's an uncomfortable question to ask yourself, but ask about that. Or will it actually move me to my goals, my ultimate why, and so on? So it's it's, it's important to have space for yourself to, to reflect on those things. And I think that's another thing that is difficult for many entrepreneurs, that they just run and run. There is so much to do. There's always more work than the hours in the day. And you just get eaten up and you don't have the space to sit down and reflect, okay, what is important for me? How am I living? Do I sacrifice something that I that was not okay for me to sacrifice when I was starting this company? So just kind of getting the perspective, stepping out of this wheel for a moment and seeing, okay, am I happy being in that wheel? Because you can be, but you need to, to be aware of that before it's too late. I agree with that. I, I, I try actually, I do it. Maybe it's a little bit silly, but I, I try and do every year. I have like a meeting with myself. <laughs> it's in the calendar. And I sit down and I sign, sort of decide uh, what are my goals for the coming year? What's important? And I do it on a personal level, but also on a company level. I sort of try and, 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 uh, and I, I think to some extent, I, I try and sort of, the, the relationships that are important to me, how, how my wife would be very frustrated if I was <laughs> saying this on, on the podcast, but, but sort of, uh, I mean, I try and sit down and say, what are the goals? Uh, you know, how, how, how do I hope that our life is going to be together? What are my goals for the children? And, and then I try and sort of, structure that and then i in theory i don't do it not as good as it every week but i try and look at them every week and and remind myself if i if i'm working towards the the long-term goals that's great and that's actually something i have recommended to some of my clients um that to take this personal conference i call it a personal conference quite a lot of companies go on those conference events where you kind of team building and you maybe exchange some knowledge and just having some fun I, I'm, I'm saying you can do the same with yourself Take one day, go to a hotel that has a conference room, rent that conference room for yourself, do the brainstorming on, on the air, write it down, then finalize your goals somehow for, for the coming period, whatever it's a quarter or a year, as I said, or five-year period, and then enjoy the hotel. Like Have a good dinner with yourself, uh, do some activities around, have a good sleep, just that's so important because we like we can change companies, right? Whether whether we're founders or we're employees and, and so on, but we never change ourselves. We always need to live with ourselves. And it's important to know ourselves and to to understand where are we going and to always keep reminding ourselves about those goals of ours, the dreams of ours, and also the values. Mm, I agree with that. I mean, for, for me, I don't actually do that, but I, I do, um, uh, we do, me and Hugo, we own the, and the, the guy in the company with, We've been working together now for, like I said, almost 20 years. And we do actually try and quite regularly in the sense, maybe three or four times a year, we try and spend perhaps half a day together and, and just take a long walk or, or uh, I mean, someone goes to the gym and, 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 and then we sort of do talk about what we, um, what's important for us and what's important for, for him. And, and I think that's been important over the years to, to be able to um, get, be aligned. Uh, and I, I also, to some extent, realization that, that, uh, the big risks for small companies like ours is that um, the owners start fighting. <laughs> so, so I think we have a certain also responsibility um, to the rest of the company that, that to make sure that we we uh, we're to a certain extent aligned. And, and I mean, of course, it's important to have disagreements as well. But but um, and also, of course, life changes. I mean, you have different goals and different things that are important in different times in your life. In your life. But I think what what you're doing is very important to have those. Uh, check-in points, right? So that you don't go too far just because you have the commitment, but for one of you, the situation has changed and okay. No, that's true. I agree with that. Yeah. That it doesn't go for a couple of years and then you just explode or you create a toxic environment for the whole the whole company because you're not talking through those things. You don't have the forum for that to talk it through together with Hugo. So it's important to have those check-in points and, and, and have this habit of discussing those things. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. That's great. So you you're trying to grow now, right? And and this this year has been tough. What what have been your challenges for that and learnings from that? Uh, perhaps I should say something about what we do. We're a um, and we're a um, sourcing and recruitment company for the tech sector. So so our business model is we build recruitment departments or recruitment functions for growing tech companies, and and that can be. Um, Yeah, your classical tech company with a tech department, but also more and more actually, it's also everybody else in the sense that everybody's becoming a tech company, and that's a real. And our our purpose or our mission is to try and solve the the resource problem in the tech sector by sort of helping them build um, great tech departments, you know, one step at a time, and also actually trying to create really good talent acquisition professionals, i.e., people that work with us, because we think that's a really, I mean, that's a, something that's going to be really needed when the industry grows. I think, as you, everybody knows, I mean, the fact that we're here and everything else. Uh, I mean, the um, sort of the massive change in, in the world economy over the last 10 years, call it digitalization or techification or, you know, all these, all these things that happen around us, they've, of course, created a massive need for software developers in general, but also lots of roles and people around that. And that, and that you know, is a, and we've sort of found a model to be able to solve that problem for, for, for a lot of companies and, and um It involves a lot of things. It involves, you know, recruitment and sourcing and uh, employer branding, all these things. Uh, so it's sort of a whole sort of range of services. And that was, you know, full speed ahead until sort of March last year, uh, a little bit earlier, perhaps. And um, I mean, we also have uh, big companies, big customers for us, so the car industry and also the cons you know, big sort of tech consultant industries. And um, as with, lo with, lo with a lot of other places, Basically, overnight, everything stopped because of COVID. I think it was almost exactly a year ago, actually, that um, we started realizing things were happening, or at least they were they were um, you know, going south. Uh, first, of all, it was it was a problem it was all the sort of work work from home this thing, and we thought that was going to be the problem. But then, really quickly, customers started calling and saying, "Sorry, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. We have to stop everything." And um, I think it was a period of maybe two or three weeks. Our projection of revenue, the comparison between March and June, went down with 75%. So our projection was that we were going to have 25% of our revenue in June that we had in March. Uh, and uh, that had been on a quite a steep growth from before then. So, so that was, um, that's what happened. And I, looking back, I feel very, um, I remember, and I think I'm very thankful actually talking about, about uh, important uh, relationships. Uh, I, you know, I'm involved in an entrepreneurial group called Founders Alliance, and I, I was, a, was actually a friend there who he was very early on. He said, listen, CJ, this is going to be the biggest crisis in 100 years. You have to really react early, and this is what I think. And he, he sort of very kindly shared his view on the situation. I think, and that made me realize quite early that we were, in a, we were really something tough was going to happen. So we were very early about communicating with all the way employees. Listen, this is what we think. We don't know what's going to happen, but we think it's going to be one of the toughest economic crises in in a hundred years. And um, so, what happened was it was was really, 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 and, I, and with a with a company of our size, with a sort of consultant company that grows like that, of course, the, the big cost is is people. And um, at a certain point, it was if you know, even if everybody stopped working or sort of finished, uh, I mean, got let off tomorrow, if that curve continued, it, it wouldn't have mattered what we did. We we, we might have gone bust anyway. That actually didn't happen. Didn't wasn't quite as bad as as we thought. Things got pushed a little bit forward, and then for us, by sort of um, end of June, perhaps we started seeing things that that we weren't. I mean, I think we think we almost kind of touched twenty five percent in June, but we did, you know, see that things started turning around and started to to not immediately. And um, in September, anybody who had been laid off. Was welcome back, and we also started seeing actually that that um, people were getting uh, new jobs in other places, and that was sort of a sign, I think, that our industry was doing quite well. And then um, from sort of mid September, perhaps even mid November, uh, we've had the most unbelievable uh, return, actually. And I think the reason for that is that the the whole, if you look at it from a kind of a macro perspective, the um, the answer to the to the pandemic for a lot of companies is not less digitalization; it's more digitalization. It's. Uh, I, I, you haven't seen that speech I had. I think that was my conclusion. It's not. It's not less tech. It's more tech. It's not sort of less um, uh, less innovation. It's more innovation. And I think also actually what what is another other interesting factor is that a lot of a lot of the sort of global problems we have and and perhaps um, I mean climate change is one of them. The answer to that I think 
for a lot of people is not less innovation. It's more tech. It's more. It's more innovation. It's more digitalization. It can also, so all these things conspire together to drive the need for 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 good software development. And that happened a lot faster than we. And the rebound was a lot quicker than than we we expected. And and for us that meant that there was also a lot of other people in our industry that weren't doing that well. And we we could um, very luckily also. I've been able to hire a lot of new employees that are that are really new colleagues that have that have you know skilled and experienced and and good in many ways. So it's been, I think, been very 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 lucky. Um, and it's been, uh, but it's been very. Um, I mean, I, I told you we we experienced two thousand eight, and that was um, we were a lot smaller then, but that was uh, also dramatic. But at that time, we said, "Oh, it was so dramatic because we we experienced a thirty percent loss in revenue over six months or something like that." That was sort of how it was, um, unbelievably dramatic. And how? And now it was sort of a you know seventy five percent in two months. So it was it was uh, it was dramatic in a way that that um, I don't think uh, I I, th- I think people have very rightly compared it to uh, economically to the shocks of war, and I think uh, that was also. Um, and I think if you talk about learnings, I think one of the important learnings just in general is that you do have to be prepared for these really, I mean, these things can happen. And, and I think, I think uh, somebody told me if you compare different countries, uh, if, you, if you look at uh, for companies in Israel, for example, they're a lot more used to sort of having this sort of extreme risk handling. Uh, just for example, if you, if you have a hotel in, in, on, the, on the coast in Israel, you have to be prepared for war because that's just one of the things that generally sometimes happen in the Middle East. And then, you know, revenue goes to zero. So I think we're not used to those really massive risks in Sweden. And um, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a learning. <laughs> So how do you prepare for that? Because economy is cyclical, right? And then uh, the the scientists are talking about okay, the economic winter comes at least once a decade, and of course there it can be different uh, with the impact of it, but it does come. So how do you prepare now as the company as ends for the next crisis that will inevitably come? I think I think one of the things is to always be profitable. I think if we hadn't been if we hadn't worked worked on, our, I mean, we could have definitely had a strategy. Yeah, before per COVID, we should have said, uh, "Let's push a little bit harder. Let's grow a little bit more. Don't worry about profit at the moment. That that will, that will solve itself." It's important to be more, you know. And, and I think we would have been if if we had done that, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have had um, we wouldn't have survived. I don't think if we hadn't been had a profit, uh, a good profit there. And it was actually it was a little bit lucky because we sort of the end of the year in two thousand nineteen. We had invested in in some big projects, and we weren't actually profitable. And there was, you know, so if it, if it had happened around New Year, I think it would have been tougher than it happened uh, a little bit later. But but uh, so I think that is important to always sort of make sure you. Of course, that goes for service companies because it's also good to be profitable because it kind of shows you're doing things right and you make sure the customers are happy and all these things are really really important. But so that's one thing I think always trying to be profitable or at least have a big margin. And that's easy to say because of course we didn't have a big margin when we started, and you know it's. That's sort of a stupid advice is advice because <laughs> of course you, I mean that's yes of course I'd like to have a big margin but I, I don't have any margins so I mean that's all that's all but I think it's a good point that you're saying uh, because sometimes you want to kind of bootstrap once you're doing well to have the bigger growth and it, it, the, those are the learnings that you're talking about it's not about being totally ignorant of like okay not everyone is profitable from day one and I, and I realize there are models that but I mean it's really important to know it's it's sort of important to know whether you're moving towards a profit or that your your base service is profitable and all these things. And I think I think a lot of, and I'm no expert in these things, but I do see a lot of examples, um, you know, in the tech environment where where they just never become profitable and it's and it's always more growth, more growth, and and and, and then. And when you do these calculations and budget things, you realize you you can almost show anything, but but if you can't in the end show that you're profitable on the final, on the sort of last line, it's, it's you know it's it's not going to be um so that i think that's that's important i think also it's important to to um when things do happen uh or you see think big changes in in your surroundings um it's important to to talk through what you're going to do be prepared to that and sort of have a plan for it if this happens let's talk about this let's what should we do and that can sometimes be difficult because also by talking about things and of course you can't do that with everybody all the time because it just I mean, just by talking about crazy things that can happen, um, you do create worry and and all these things. And I mean, but I mean, at least in a, perhaps a smaller group, talk through, you know, what what are we going to do if this and this happens? Uh, you know, how do we handle that? Uh, at least have a sort of a 
so that you don't come become completely unprepared. And and I have another background in in uh, I spent a lot of time sailing and and at sea. And and um, one of the things you you talk about that when you prepare for emergencies or catastrophes, you talk about uh, how to sort of you, you have to practice this. And of course, the best thing is just you know practice run leaving the ship when when it's sinking. But also, it does make a big difference talking about it and talking to each other. How do we do it? And thinking through what will I do mentally if this happens? And uh, and there's lots of research being done on this that if you've done that, you do react a lot better when 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 things actually happen because because you can't really you uh, quite often it, it, it happens quickly. You don't have that much time to do things, and the quicker you react, the way you do things, uh, I think the better you do. Yeah, you create new wiring in your brain, and then that's what I talk about with my clients about the journaling that they have to do every evening. And one of the questions after a while that we add is, uh, "What did I do less well today, and what is my learning?" Oh, that's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. And that's really important. It comes from Mia Termblom. For me, I, I know that she didn't invent it, but uh, Swedish people would know her, and she was also on my podcast as a guest. And it, it's very important. It's it's your way of not beating yourself up, but instead going to the situation that you're not happy about and creating an alternative scenario so that your brain knows that there is an alternative. And the next time... Yeah, so take that again. Remember, because I, I, I try to do that. Well, how do you do it? How do you, how do, you how do, you do that? What, what do you do every day? So you... you just have a journal and a pen and answer four questions. So the, you start in the beginning. I usually start with three questions. What did I do well today? Or what am I proud of? What am I grateful for? And what do I need help with? And we don't start with this, what did I do less well today? And what is my learning? Because the people I work with are high performers. They are like super good already, but they keep beating themselves up. There is always something that is not enough, talking about the self-esteem. And we need to build that up first. So I I usually say that we need to really strengthen the cheerleading team within you, um, the inner cheerleader, before we work with the inner critic. So once the inner cheerleader is strong enough, then we add this. Okay, what what did I do less well today? And what is my learning? And I combine it with the values of mine. So talking about the values, I have three words that are my value words. And um, I write them. I started a couple of weeks ago with that. I I usually did it mentally, like thinking about my words and then writing down things that in relation to those words. But now I'm actually explicitly writing my words down. So my journal entry starts with date. Next to the date, my three value words. Then I do did less well column. And then I say the value word. So an area in which I did not behave or act as the person I want to be ultimately. And then I write about the situation. It's not, it doesn't have to be journal. You can be like writing two words as long as you know what it is about. What is by Yeah. And the learning, I don't write learning column. I just put it like a period. And then the new sentence is about what, what my action is for the next time. So it is about the action there. And then did, yeah, and then I do did, uh, did well. And then again, the value word. And then what I did well to show that I live as this person I want to be. I'm writing down. <laughs> That's a good tip. I, and I think it's important. And as you said, it's important to talk those things. But I want to emphasize that you can do this work yourself as well. Um, because not always we can talk to someone. Like we not always have access to someone who could be or create the space for us to talk those things through. So it's important to get the habit of doing that yourself and, and having the tools to do it yourself. As I said, it's about creating alternative solutions so that your brain knows like, oh, I can actually choose how to react now next time it happens or when it does happen in the reality. And, and then if you repeatedly like write about this alternative scenario, those, that wiring gets stronger than the pattern that you're not happy about. And that's the beauty of it. That's the power of rewiring our brain. Because then this alternative scenario reaction kicks in quicker next time it happens. Or not next time, but after a couple of times it happened and you journaled about it. And that's the power of journaling as well, that you're really able to prepare yourself for the next times. Yeah, that's, good. that's a good tip, actually. I think I might try it. And again, you can, you can do it with your leadership team, for example. Uh, that's the, that's the same mechanism. It's just instead of writing, you having a meeting and talking about those things. All right, I would like to wrap up. Just uh, be mindful of the time, even though. Oh yeah, that's fine. I have to. I have to twelve thirty. That's fine. So so as long as we finish by twelve thirty, I'm good. 
I'm just thinking about the the listeners as well. People getting scared when they see over one hour episodes. Yeah, yeah, I thought that as well. But I, it, um, we, um, I was very, very keen on keeping it short when we started our podcast, and then uh, we just started doing longer ones, and people listen even more. So, <laughs> so it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's just about doing what you feel gives most most value. Right, people will be attracted by that. Right. Have you felt that? Did you get what you wanted? Was it? A, was it a? Has it been a good talk? I, I'm enjoying it, and I'm still having the conversation actually because I still have my finishing questions for you. Go, go ahead then. Yeah. As I said, for me, it's difficult to wrap up because just as last time when we talked the, the first time when we talked in real real time, I could have gone for hours with you because we have so many intersections of our questions and interests. Um, but yeah, let's wrap up and just continue some other time. <laughs> yeah. And I feel that I was worried. I've been quite unstructured in that sense. So, so you forgive me for being so, uh, I always have to spread. These are the, this is the beauty of this podcast. I'm never like scripting anything and it's a conversation, right? And I never know what, where we will end up. And that's the beauty of it because we get the best of the, the moment now. And sometimes I get this feedback like, oh, I really wanted, like from the listeners, I really wanted you to dig deeper into this topic and so on. And I'm really helpful for that feedback because it knows or it gives me the understanding of what people want more of so that I can actually include it in the conversation. But it's it's difficult to cover everything in the good depth. Good point. Good point. That's why we're having those weekend uh, like uh, episodes every week and there is a never-ending <laughs> topic pool for episode. So Karyon, what would be your three pieces of advice for our genius leaders listening or tuning in? Well, that's it. I perhaps not to take advice from people like me, but but if you if you're insistent on doing that, I I think uh, I think as a leader, I think uh, I think the first thing would be to really work on your interest for other people, and I think also that goes for when you pick out good you pick out leaders or try and choose leaders around uh, around you or to your company I, I think really focus on that part the people who are interested in in other people and and, and truly interested in and and I think also try and um, work on that that uh, ability yourself to interest yourself interest yourself in what how other people feel and how and do things because if you do that it also makes life more interesting I think and and, and it makes your job a lot more fun and also does I do think it makes you better as a leader that, that sort of keep being interested in and um and uh, what's the English word for nishikin? What's it sort of um, curious. curious? Curious, exactly. Yeah, stay curious. That's that's the first piece of advice, I think. I think the second one would would, would perhaps also be, um, uh, I think, the one we started with that, that to really try and focus on how can you um, how can you kind of grow together with other people and like help them to grow, but also how can they help you to grow? I think perhaps those two are the best. And perhaps, perhaps the third one, I think, might be enjoy the ride. You've got to have some fun along the way, perhaps, as well. I think that's also a good uh, piece of life advice, perhaps. And I think it also, it especially goes for entrepreneurship. I think you, and I, I think we've always been, I think entrepreneurs quite often or leaders quite often, they do have a tendency to sort of always worry, 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 worry. And I, I think that's a really, uh, I think that is a good thing in a sense, because if you don't have that, you, you don't, uh, you don't, mitigate the risks and other things before and so i think it's a good thing to but you also do have to sometimes it's also is good to, to realize that, that you're on a you're on a fun ride and it, it's sort of um it, it's uh you know it's, it's it's a great thing to own a company and to lead other people and it, it's a really a privilege and, and you have to kind of you have to remember that sometimes and also try and enjoy it i think that makes life um, a lot more fun and i always remember i i had an, actually, an uncle actually which i i um it's inspired me a lot, and he, he's also a small owner in Ants at one one point. And he always he always told me when we you know all those tough years at the beginning. He said, "You're going to look back, and it's going to be the best part." And and I think he was right. It always is. It always is fun, and 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 you have to remember that as well. You're tapping into so many things now, so I'll just continue for a couple of my minutes. Like everyone listening the pod, to the podcast knows that it, like it had it has the roller coaster on the. Uh, cover art of it and that's how i see the leadership role it's a roller cost right and what you're talking here about work on your interest in other people that's this comparison for me that not everyone likes a lot roller coasters and not everyone would like to be a leader so that's interesting the other people is this kind of definition of should you get on that right or not but then if you do <laughs> how can you actually enjoy it more mm. i mean i think you can lead in other ways as well but but i, I and i and i i think but if you can that does help i think I think it's one of the crucial things. If you if you're not interested in the other people, it's very difficult to to lead them in a healthy way, healthy for you and healthy for the others. So that's one of the crucial things. And if you 
by no chance are interested in the others, then maybe you should find some other kind of role. Yeah, that's probably true. All right. Um, one practical tip of um, or piece of advice that our genius leaders can implement already today after listening. One practical piece. Of, well, I, I think, I mean, that, that, that we, what you talked about there, the sort of... Uh, definitely um, making kind of a personal plan and, and trying to remind yourself of that. that. That's one that has helped me a lot. For me, it was also connected with, with um, a little bit of time management in the sense that I, I think one, one of the, I mean, things about being an entrepreneurial leader is that you've, you always have a lot to do and, and that's, you're always going to have too much to do in the sense. But if you can, if you can have this plan where you do think about what's important and, and, and you try and kind of work towards these things and get things done and, and, uh, then that does help. And for me, at least, it's, it has helped from a time management point of view that you you know that there are some things you're just not going to be able to do, but at least the things you're doing are in some sense going towards the goals that you've decided that you know well, that you are the right thing. That does help with stress and all these things that, that I think everybody experiences that has a this kind of a job. So, so for me, that that's quite, quite, it was quite a practical kind of time management perspective of you know, having a long-term plan, sitting down and spending some time planning your day and planning a week and, and in the best of days, making sure that, that at least you're, you're working towards your, your other goals. Because if you don't plan, it just becomes, just becomes more and more stressful and you're sort of not taking decisions about what you want to do. You, you, you're the, the environment is taking decisions for you. And that, that at least helped me. If you don't own your calendar, the others own your calendar. Yeah, exactly. You have to sort of take hold of it. And sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes things just happen and you have to just handle. But if, if you do that a little bit every day or, or at least every week, then it does push you in the right direction. And, um, and I think that's, um, that, that's helped me a lot, actually, and, and uh, it has handled it. I think you also have to realize I mean, the same sort of thing that you, you have to realize that building a company, quite often it does take quite a lot of time in the sense that it takes many years and, and quite often even more. And success doesn't come immediately. So you have to be able to make sure that you have the ability. And quite often that's a physical and, and to stay, you know, you have to stay fit and, and, and mentally well. And it has to be the long-term race. It has to, it's not, it's not, it's not a sprint. It's almost always a marathon. Sometimes you can you can have sort of peaks where you just, I mean, like just last year, of course, you during those months, you, you've got to work. You, you don't have a choice, but you can't work like that every day because then you 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 won't be able to, con- to complete the marathon or complete the massive marathon and that's really really important to to, to have a long-term perspective on, on uh, and that's different with different people but for me at least that was a big thing to, to start having a more structured day uh, plan that's very important and that's that's the thing my my business coach who i mentioned kelly she's saying that she's wiping up uh, wiping off her calendar every quarter and starts anew because of the growth because of the development of the company the needs are changing and it has to be reflected. And she's saying, like, I live by my calendar. Everything is in there. There are no to-dos. I don't use any productivity apps. Everything has to go on my calendar. Because if I use, like, I just discussed it with one of my clients this morning, uh, that I said, we use a lot of different productivity tools, and we use each of them as if we would only use that tool. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I've been talking about to-do lists, because I was, I, you know, before a few years ago, I was doing it all electronically. I said, oh, I have to do, I have all my to-do lists. And then, and, and, <laughs> What happens then is you have massive to do this, then they go on forever. So I've actually gone back to doing doing like every day doing a, a, a paper to do list and to get this is what's important today. And I, of course, I do have some place I just put long term projects, but I have a, a very practical and, and just do the, you know what are, what are the sort of five to ten things I should do today. And then it's, it's quite it's sort of a, a mental exercise, and and uh, and then you can kind of throw that away, <laughs> start a new. And, and so it's quite a good um, for me that works quite well. And then also things that don't come up again, that's probably not important. Yeah, I actually have it as part of my daily journaling uh, in the evening that I wrote, uh, write focus for tomorrow. And then it's, I tried to have it at three points, but then I realized, okay, sometimes it's seven things that has to be, have to be there so that I like focus on those and, and I don't take anything else before those seven are ticked off. So it's part of my evening thing. I look at my calendar for tomorrow and then I write down the things that I need. Yeah, I and mean, it's always also a mathematical thing. I mean, if you think about, if you think about 10 projects, and just ordering 10 projects. This is a massive combination of ways how to order them. <laughs> so it's really difficult to decide what's most important. So it's so if you can, I think somebody, I mean, it's also from a software point of way, where if you have massive to-do lists, as somebody told me, never have a to-do list more than 10 points. Everything else just goes in a jumble. And if, if it comes back, it's important. If it doesn't come back, probably not important. Yeah, Warren Buffett is talking about that with the dreams as well and the goals, like uh, list 25 of your biggest dreams. And then he said, like, cross out, uh, cross three of them that are most important. Yeah, 
yeah. and then throw away the rest. And he's saying, like, this is the danger that we have 25 dreams and we try to work on all of that. You have to choose. And that's nice. You have to choose. I have to go now, but, uh, but I, I, I read a funny, funny story about, but I read an article recently about uh, when are you most happy in life? And uh, there's lots of research on this and happiness research and they have all these trends and they, and, and, um, and apparently, you know, a lot of the research points towards that you're most happy around, around uh, 16. And then it kind of, it's sort of like a, um, a slope that goes down and then it, it kind of bottoms out around 48 and then it starts rising again. <laughs> so, and the reason for this apparently is that at 16, you, you start making choices in life where you, you, that all, um, uh, I mean, all opportunities uh, aren't, aren't there. You kind of just kind of room, you, you, I suppose even at 16, you're probably not, you're going to be a professional footballer, but all these things, you sort of uh, remove things. And then, and then at 48, you realize you sort of started accepting things that, okay, I'm never going to do this. <laughs> I'm do this. And, you, and so it's just a, oh, just a funny story about it. And you start, you're not caring about the other, what other people think. Yeah, maybe that's, I, I, I'm sure there's lots of reasons, but, but it's still quite a, a sort of, a, and so that I, and I think that does show that it's a bit, always a little bit uncomfortable choosing things that you don't want to do rather than choosing things that you do do. But I think it, it's a, you, you trick yourself because by not choosing anything or not, by not removing things, it's like not doing, not choosing anything. So that's, um, that's also a piece of advice, perhaps. It's a tricky puzzle of life. I'm pretty sure a lot of people have found a lot of value in, in your conversation about yourself. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, anybody in the podcast and listening to this, please reach out. Happy to share whatever we do and, and, uh, uh, you know, just get in touch and, and I'm, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to, to reach me. And uh, we'll put the links in the show notes that everyone can uh, easily reach out to you. Yeah. Good luck, Anna. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. Remember, I'm always here for you. And I'm happy to connect with you on LinkedIn or via email or hop on a strategy call. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything.